you start to look at acquisition opportunities as significant jumps in revenue and significant opportunities to really grow your business. And so we made two or three more since that first acquisition and all of them really give us a proprietary type of product. Welcome to Mitten Money, delivering insights from Michigan-based business leaders, big and small. William Zank, host of Mitten Money at TriStar Trust, loves nothing more than creating this masterclass so that you can get insight to guide your leadership journey in just under 30 minutes. Subscribe today and connect with William at mittenmoney.com. What's going on, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to the very first Mitten Money episode of 2023. We have an awesome guest list lined up that I'm sure everyone will enjoy. For our conversation today, I had the pleasure to chat with Kit Northrup of Blue Thumb Inc. For those who may not know, Blue Thumb is one of the nation's leading distributors of water features. He shares with us his incredible story from the humble beginnings of installing water features to actually pivoting and becoming a distributor of the products themselves. Stay tuned for later in the episode when he chats about some of the acquisitions that his company's also done over the years. So welcome, Kip, to Mint Money. So Kit, from an early age, it seems like you were bit by the entrepreneurial bug from starting your first business in high school. How did this blossom into Blue Thumb? And did you ever think that it would grow into the size that it is today? Yeah. So I started cleaning fish tanks. I'm a self-professed fish geek and I loved aquariums growing up. And I decided that I was going to start cleaning aquariums after school to make some extra cash. I had a part-time job at Meyer and paid three bucks an hour. And I looked at how much I could make cleaning an aquarium after school. And I had to work 20 hours to make the same amount of money. So it didn't take long to do the math to realize that my income potential could be significantly more if people paid me to do the thing that I loved to do, which was to clean up aquariums and enjoy the hobby. So I started cleaning tanks. And then when I graduated high school and I went away to, I went studied international business at Eastern Michigan And I sold the business, sort of sold it to a guy locally here who owned a pet store. While I was away at college, he opened a second store. And once I finished up at Eastern and came back to the area, he wanted to sell that second store. So I purchased that store and got into retail. Through the retail store, the retail pet store, we started to get requests for pond products and pond installation products and things like that. And I thought to myself, man, somebody should really start a wholesale company dedicated to water features and ponds. The bulb didn't go off that I should do it. I just thought I need this product and I have a hard time finding it in Michigan where it's a very seasonal item. So through the couple of years, we started to install ponds and we realized very quickly that we could make a lot more money installing ponds than we could managing retail pet store. So we sold the store and I say we, because I've never, you know, I own the company in myself, but I have a team of people, right? And I always have. And so I use the word we because I can't do anything alone. I've got to do it with a great group of people around me. So anyways, we make the move back to Saginaw and we start installing ponds professionally. And that segued into me getting contacted by one of the suppliers we were using of the filtration equipment that we were installing. And he said, you're one of my largest installers in Michigan. I know you have a little warehouse there. Would you like to re-wholesale the product out to your local market? to the landscape contractors. And initially I thought, no, I don't want to encourage competition. But then he said, I'll give you a 25% discount. And I thought, well, that'll be nice to tuck in my back pocket. So yeah, I'll, I'll be a distributor. And I figured I'd just sell to myself really. And that first year we did a significant wholesale business selling to other customers. 
And from there, we decided, let's get out of installation and let's start focusing on the wholesale side of the business. And that's when we formally in November of 2000 started Blue Thumb. I had a guy ask me last summer, and you just asked it as well, did I ever think it would get as big as it is? And no, I never had these grand plans. It was really about survival back then. And it was about making payroll on Friday. And it was about getting the rent paid and, and those types of things. And over time, things just got better and better and better. And it was a series of good decisions along the way that we made. And if you continue to take small steps forward and minimize your steps backwards in a quarter, in a year, in five years, you can really get some good forward movement. And that's really where we're at. Well, it's really interesting. I appreciate you touching on some of the illustrious history that you have at the company. And so taking a look back, something I saw while doing research for the podcast, Kip, is in the year 2000, you actually, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you made the decision to stop installing water features. And so this must have been you know, a really tough decision for you to decide to pivot to more the wholesale side of things rather than the installation part. And so what were some of those signs that you saw that really prompted you to make that pivot? Yeah. So one of my favorite parts of installing water features was selling the product to the client. And then the very end of turning the waterfall on and seeing their face when the water first flows and they get the sights and the sounds of that. That was always my favorite. All of the steps in between, I really did not like. And I have an attention span issue and I, I have a hard time focusing on things for a long period of time. And several projects take days, if not weeks, to complete. And when I got done with a water feature, I would look at it and I would think, it's not bad. The client loves it. But I could compare myself to other peers in the industry, other guys who could look at a pile of rocks and figure out which rock exactly they wanted to put on the waterfall and how the water would flow over it and everything else. And for me, it was much more functional. It was like I knew how to size the filter properly. I knew what size pump I needed for flow rate. I knew what size hose. I knew all those types of mechanical type things. But from an artistic standpoint, I was really bad at it. And I always say to myself, it was one of the achievements of my career is that I was smart enough to realize that I wasn't any good at installing water features from an artistic standpoint. And so with the growth of the wholesale side of the business, I figured out that I just didn't want to dig holes and fill them with rock and water anymore, but I wanted to help other guys do it. And so that's where we really started to make the transition. And we got out of the installation business and we focused more on the wholesale distribution side. And we had a lot of ideas as well on how we could make the equipment we were buying from the manufacturer even better. And fortunately, I mean, unfortunate for them, fortunately for us in 2005, the company that had originally got me into the wholesale business and was really the foundation of Blue Thumb being founded, went bankrupt and went out of business and they were purchased by our largest competitor. But we knew moving forward that they weren't going to have our best interests in mind. And so in 2005, I put a team together and we designed our own line of filtration products and launched our manufacturing division. Yeah, that's really special. And it kind of works my way into the next thing I wanted to mention is how do you stay on top of these trends that go within your industry? I can imagine that while some things may stay popular for three, four, five years, I can imagine that certain trends and other demographics are in place to where, you know, this is popular yesterday, but not so popular today. And so how do you try and stay on top of those things? Yeah. So that gets tough because, you know, we're a national supplier. We ship all over the country and trends can change based on colors and material textures. 
but also you get geographical trends. You know, some yards here in Michigan and in the Midwest are very large, but you get into California or some of those areas where it's a little tighter and the population is, is larger and the yards get a lot smaller. And so you have to be aware of not only material and color trends, but also the size of a water feature that someone might put in. So we look at ponds are somewhat larger out of all the water features that we sell. We have a pondless waterfall, which is basically a, you know, a waterfall in a stream that disappears into a bed of gravel. And they're kind of a medium water feature. And then on the smaller side, we have our fountains. And so our fountains are where we're seeing over the last I would say five to 10 years, the largest growth. I know the example that you mentioned earlier, people in the Midwest tend to have larger yards. People out West may have a little bit smaller of a yard just with demographics and other population things at part. Do you see even people out in the Midwest looking to have smaller water features or is that something that evolved out West and has maybe stayed out there? What we see mostly from a trend standpoint is not so much based on the size or the color or the material, is how much maintenance is it going to take? How is this going to affect my lifestyle? A lot of people, you know, they work hard all day long, they come home, and the last thing they want to do is go out and maintain something. So we try to create as maintenance-free as possible water features that someone can put in their yard and then basically walk away and just enjoy whenever they want with their favorite beverage. So those tend to be more fountain recirculating type systems where there's no open body of water that sunlight's hitting and it's causing algae growth and there's no science or chemistry to maintaining water chemistry for fish to thrive in and situations like that. Now, some people love the ponds. They want the koi, they want the goldfish, they want the aquatic plants, and they love that whole experience and they don't mind 20 to 30 minutes of maintenance a week. Others say, I want to set it and forget it. And I want to crack open my favorite drink and walk in my backyard and sit in my chair and just hear my water feature running and not have to worry about it. And so those tend to push the trends more than anything else. I will say the ironic thing is you would think that Florida, Arizona, California, areas that are above freezing year round would be the hot spots for water features. And actually it's quite the opposite. Now those areas are popular for water features, don't get me wrong, but in the Midwest and the Northeast, we seem to have geographically just the type of stone material that's around here. We have landscapes that are the water features just look really nice in them. They don't look out of place. And so we tend to find that in the Midwest and in the Northeast, even though we're getting freezing conditions in the wintertime and you've really only got a five or six month window each year to enjoy your water feature, these are the areas that people actually want them the best because they go outside and use the space when they're able to. In California, you can use it anytime. So you tend to not use it as, as much. That's really interesting. And so I know something that we also mentioned during our pre-call that we had was that your company has done really well with mergers and acquisitions. And so at what point did you make the decision to look externally to grow in a certain sector versus internally for uh, different products? So going back to 2008, 2009, obviously we're going through a recession. And for us, it wasn't a matter of people didn't want water features anymore. It was that they couldn't afford a water feature that was quite as large. So we started to lean on our R&D team to create smaller water features, which essentially is fountains. And so we created a nice fountain program and it helped curtail the decrease in sales that we were experiencing during the, the recession. And after post-recession, we started to see significant increases in our fountain business. 
And I was at a trade show in Boston. It was a landscape architect show. And there was a company there that was exhibiting just fountains. That's all that they had. They had a patent on their basin. And I walked by their booth and I thought to myself, I want to buy this company. I want to acquire these guys. They have a national presence. They're selling to all these landscape architects. It's our prime customer type. So I just walked up to the booth and I said, hey, introduce myself. And I said, don't take this the wrong way. I know this is coming out of left field, but I wouldn't mind buying your company. And the guy said, I can't believe you're standing here telling me that. He said, just this morning, the owners had breakfast and your catalog was presented to us. And they said, this is who we should sell our company to because they were interested in selling. So three months later, we closed the deal and moved them from Harpers Ferry, West Virginia, up here to Saginaw. And I'll tell you that that acquisition kind of catapulted our business. It made us, at the time, I would say we were more of a regional player. Now we were a national player on a national level. We had access to materials that we didn't have access to prior to that, relationships with customers and everything else. And it, it really was invigorating. It was exciting. I mean, acquiring a new company is, if you've ever done it before, it is the high of all highs. It is so exciting and so much fun. So I kind of caught the bug with it, right? And so I started to look at other opportunities and we were growing when our 10% a year clip and that's exciting to a point, but once you've done that in several years, you want more. And so you start to look at acquisition opportunities as significant jumps in revenue and significant opportunities to, to really grow your business. And so we made two or three more since that first acquisition and all of them really give us a proprietary type of product one of the things that I'm super adamant about is trying to control as much of our operation as possible and not be at the mercy of suppliers. And this has become especially important the last two years. But I don't want to import stuff if I don't have to. If I can make it here in my facility, then I want to make it here. And so we started to look at people who were making something, making key products that we could bring in and then get out to our network of professional installers across the U.S. So we rely on organic growth, but we do look at strategic opportunities to acquire other companies to grow as well. Of course, that makes great sense. And I appreciate the background with the first merger as well. That's a really exciting kind of an interesting story. And so I'm sure that kind of makes its way into the debate that a lot of business owners have between really trying to focus on margins versus volume to really grow your business. And I know you're very adamant about the margin aspect. Do you mind explaining that or at least talking a little more about that rationale? Yeah, I, my philosophy completely is I believe business is a game of margins and not volume. Now, volume is nice, but only if you can achieve margin first. And I was struggling probably back in 2005, 2006. And I left work one day and I went to Barnes and Noble and I'd like to scan the business books and just kind of relax, grab a coffee and kind of de-stress. It was one of the ways that I would kind of recenter myself. And I was scanning the books there and I I was looking at all of them and this book was in an orange jacket and it said, how to sell at margins higher than your competitors. And I thought, huh, I giggled and thought, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I need actually. And I continued on looking for something else. And eventually I didn't find anything. And I came back to that book. I pulled it out and I went in a chair and I started reading it and I couldn't put it down. I read it almost the entire thing within 24 hours. And then I reread it the next weekend and I started highlighting things. And it really taught me a lot about what the difference between margin and volume is. And I would highly encourage anybody to seek out that book if they're struggling with margin. But it's just become a foundational key point of, of how we do our business now. And then later on over the years, Mike Mahalowicz wrote a book called The Pumpkin Plan. 
And we sell direct to consumer, we sell to the professional installer, and then we sell to a dealer network of retail stores and distributors and, and places who resell our product in their local market. And each level you come down, you're sacrificing margin, right? And so given the fact that I had an installation background and sort of that was my original mentality of how I started the business, we just spoke to the installers more comfortably than we spoke to any of our other customer types. And so we realized that that professional installer also gave us the margin that we needed to help support them the best. And so it just became something that we really started to look at. And the pumpkin plan, basically the idea behind it is you want to grow the biggest pumpkin in a pumpkin competition and you've got this long vine and there's all these pumpkins. Well, you start to cut ties with smaller pumpkins along the vine and that helps all the nutrients, all the resources go to that one pumpkin. And so that book helped influence the way that we looked at margin as well. And we started to identify what's our ideal customer type, which customer when they call on the phone, does everybody fight to answer that call because they want to pick up because they enjoy that conversation? And then what customer that calls and everybody says, I'm busy, I'm busy, I can't take that call right now because they can't stand talking to that customer. And then, you know, let's cut that customer out that we don't like and let's look at the customer that's ideal for us and the one we enjoy the most. How do we demographic that customer so that we can go after like-minded customers like that? And that's how we, we really focused our business on that. And that helps support our margin. And then that's where we built our volumes. Now, it's really special. I appreciate you diving into that. Kip, do you also mind chatting a little bit about the behind your culture and philosophy around making good decisions? Yeah. So good decisions need to be made on a daily basis. Some are small, some are big. Some of our larger, what I would say are good decisions that we've made over the years are one, we were smart enough to recognize we needed to get out of installation and focus on wholesale and then manufacturing eventually. We made a sizable investment in 2006 to own our own tooling and design our own products and start having a third-party roto-molder make our product for us. That opened the door for us. It was a great decision for us to expand nationwide with the margin we needed to succeed financially. The next smart decision was acquiring the first fountain company that we did in 2014. After that, we acquired another company in 2017. Then in 2018, our molder called us and said, you're growing too fast. We're firing you. Go find a molder somewhere else. And we were like, excuse me? I mean, just cold turkey. You're not going to make product for us anymore. And they said, we're going to honor all the POs we have in-house, but we won't accept anything new. And by the way, we can't get you this product for six months. Well, when you're in a seasonal business, six months, you might as well tell me I can't get it till next year. So we had an emergency meeting with them and I pulled the vice president aside at lunch and I said, what if Blue Thumb decided to buy their own roto molding machine and manufacture our product in-house? Am I crazy? Can I do it? Is it worth it? And he said, absolutely. You need to be roto molding your own product by the end of the year. I've looked at your volumes. You can support the purchase of a machine and you need to do it. So in 2018, we purchased our own roto molding machine. That was another great decision that we made. And then all of this is leading up to the pandemic. 2019, we get a lead on the facility that we're in right now. It's 126,000 square feet. We were occupying about 40,000 square feet spread across four buildings, very inefficient. And so we made the move in 2019 to our current location and had all kinds of room to grow and expansion. And then the pandemic hit four months after we moved in. We came back from the shutdown to exploding growth. 
and would have never been able to handle the amount of business that was coming our way had we not purchased our own machine and had we not moved into this new location, there's no way we would have been able to handle it. I mean, our sales nearly doubled in those 24 months. So I look at the all of the good decisions that we make along the way. And so those are some of the highlights. Those are some of the big ones. But every day I just think to myself, whether it be a small or a medium or a large decision, you know, just make a good decision. Just consistently make good decisions. You're not always going to make a good decision. Sometimes they're going to be bad. But if you consistently make good decisions, you are going to continue to grow. You're going to continue to prosper and you're going to put yourself in a better position moving forward. And it's something even in our personal life. We always tell our my wife and I have three daughters. And as they're walking out the door, we always say to them, make good decisions. And so we're trying to get that foundation in their minds as well that, listen, whether it be personal or work or school or business or wherever in your life, making consistent good decisions is going to lead you down a good path. No, I really appreciate you touching on that. Now moving into our lightning round of questions. And so Kip, what would be your most important daily habit? Hmm. My most important daily habit, I would say, is I always make sure that I get up and I exercise. I go to the gym four, sometimes five days a week. It just helps give me mental clarity, gives me a little bit of a break. I'm healthier. I feel better about myself. I have more energy throughout the day. That would be one of my most important daily habits. And then on the personal side of things, my wife and I have always made it a daily habit that we, with our three daughters, sit down and have dinner every night together. Now, as our daughters get older and there's basketball and there's volleyball and there's church after school type stuff, all kinds of activities. And so we don't always get to do it, but it's a priority for us to make sure that one of the habits we do is we sit down and eat dinner together as much as possible. That's really special. What would you say, Kip, is your favorite TV or streaming show that you're currently watching or have recently? So I don't have any cool hip answer here. I really don't watch a lot of television unless I'm watching sports. So, you know, I'm a Lions, Tigers, Red Wings, Pistons fan. And then as such, you have to have backup sometimes because let's just admit the Lions, although they're doing great right now, aren't always. And so I'm a Cowboys fan and then I'm a big Michigan Wolverines fan. And so if I'm watching TV, it's always sports. I appreciate you touching on that. And then if you could be remembered for just one thing, what would it be? I think if I had to be remembered for just one thing, it would just be that I treated people well and I was a good person. Definitely something to be remembered for. And so for those people, Kip, who want to learn more about yourself or Blue Thumb, what are some good resources for the listeners out there? Well, I'm on all the social media type stuff. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram. I actually recently started with our commercial real estate side of our business. I started a TikTok where I'm trying to educate people about how to handle commercial real estate transactions and things like that. So you can look me up there. If you're interested in our company or our product line, you can go to shopbluethumb.com or we have a retail store here at 2650 Schust in Saginaw and you can walk in the door and feel in touch and see our products in person. Well, perfect. And thank you, Kip. And thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Mid Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Kip. Thank you. You've been listening to Mitten Money sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at tristartrust.com.